0: Welcome to the Ready Eddy podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host, Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy podcast listeners, before we jump into today's episode, I want to shine the spotlight on our membership program. With it, you can get up to 50% off our brands, discover dozens of new innovative outdoor startups, receive first access to new products, Gain access to ambassador programs for over 50 of our startups, and receive first access to purchase demo and trade show gear at 30 to 60% off. Head to readyyeti.com slash members to sign up. Welcome
1: to the Ready Eddy Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with Kim and Kyle Vines, the dirtbags turned entrepreneurs who started Cush Climbing, the world's first crash pad built with sustainability, and creative expression in mind. Kim and Kyle, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, we're excited to be on the podcast. Thanks for the invitation.
1: For sure, for sure. So yeah, with that, I would love to hear your story. How did you guys get started with Cush Climbing? Walk us through the entire journey.
0: Yeah, so it started on a climbing road trip out in California. We would actually won a contest.
2: Yeah, we, uh, I told Kyle to enter this contest, um, and it was for, like, a, a van trip through California, a kayak, a bunch of gear. Um, and it was, like, the day of, and um, I was like, hey, enter, and, and Kyle ended up winning the next day.
0: <laughs> yes, so I got the, uh, the email saying you're the grand prize winner, which gave us a VW a Eurovan to travel around California with. And we decided to turn that into a rock climbing trip.
2: That's yeah. Awesome. So, um, so yeah, we got to climb around Joshua Tree, Yosemite. Um, got to go to all the national parks along the way, like the Grand Canyon. Um, and and yeah, on the way back, it's a really long drive. So um, instead of you know going to sleep or <laughs> um, you know getting bored at the wheel, we decided to write down some business ideas.
0: Yeah, so our first um, ideas are all written in the back of the Joshua Tree bouldering guidebook. And uh, over the 14 hours back to Denver from Los Angeles, we uh, just wrote the entire business plan. And that was on, I believe, March 30th of last year. And we were really psyched on the idea and started the business, I like registered the LLC on April 1st of 2015.
2: You know, we really wanted to start a business that we were passionate about something some a company that we would you know want to work for so mm-hmm. um integrating like Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia's like ethics on business uh, and sustainability um and really wanted like more of a creative process um, and building crash pads getting people outside appreciating the outdoors um and that's really why we chose catch climbing and, and yeah. the
0: idea? What we were really psyched on is it, it started with several sketches, and one of the first ones was uh, a set of hands uh, drawn in a square, like a crash pad catching your fall. And that really sparked the idea of, you know, why, why aren't there graphics, like actual photorealistic graphics uh, printed on the landing zones of crash pads? Um, That got us excited, and then, uh, like Kim said, we uh, wanted to build something that we would be proud of and that we'd want to work for. So that's when the uh, environmental ethics got folded in.
1: That's really awesome. So do you guys have a background in climbing? How long have you guys been climbing for?
0: Uh, Yeah, we've been climbing for uh, a little over five years now, Mm -hmm. uh, five and a half years. Um, And we actually discovered it... um, while traveling around europe we were actually in south germany and
2: uh yeah we were uh we were riding our bikes through there and uh, we looked up in the canyon that we were riding down and we saw people on the walls we were like oh my gosh that looks awesome like how did they find these places to climb and we actually were sitting around a campfire met the climbers and they showed us a guidebook and instantly like we were like as soon as we get back to america like we're gonna go somewhere in mountains, and we're gonna learn how to rock climb. So
0: yeah, we had no idea that routes were written out, and you could see all the topo and guidebooks, and uh, it just opened the whole new world to us. So uh, whenever we got back to the states, we immediately moved to Colorado and started climbing.
1: That's really interesting. So how, how old were you guys when you started? Uh, we were twenty-two. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting, especially. I I find this very common in climbing that a lot of climbers haven't necessarily been doing it from you know like when you were like eight or whatever like a little kid. A lot of climbers that I know that are really serious climbers that are great climbers started later in life. I think that's definitely very interesting um, to find a passion like that. You know when you're in your twenties, I think it's really cool.
0: Yeah, and I think the community has a lot to do with it. Um, they from the from the onset meeting those folks out in a completely different part of the world and them being so receptive to us and opening up the guidebooks to us, um, uh, we knew that we wanted to be part of the community and then uh, the climbing community in Colorado embraced us immediately as well. So it, it's been easy to to fall in love with the sport because the community has made it so accessible.
2: Absolutely, yeah, that's that's what we love about climbing is the the trips the experience the traveling the people um and pushing yourself and being able to you know take something that you haven't done before so uh th-
0: those might be things that um you you have on it something that you care more uh, about whenever you are a little bit older you know you might take those things for granted uh whenever you're a little bit younger but it it was really uh, nice to to move into an area and then you know immediately have that Sense of community, even being a little bit older, not having to have had to to grow up with these people like uh, like the community that you have, like in our hometowns and stuff.
1: You're so right. You're so right. I um I lived in Salt Lake City um when I this is what two or three years ago, and I was out there for a ski season, and I I've been an avid skier most of my life, and I have climbed a bit, but I have never been like as into climbing as I have with skiing. But I took a trip to St. George in southern Utah um, for my birthday weekend, which is in February. And uh, I'm sure you guys can appreciate this. But being in February, going from northern Utah where, you know, they've got huge mountains and there's a lot of snow and it's cold. And then you drive like four hours south and it's like 75 out. And we spent like four days climbing around St. George. And that whole community that you're talking about is so – I totally know what you're talking about because – as being a beginner in climbing, or someone who doesn't know as much, being able to climb with some, with people who are so experienced and have been doing it for so long, and they like you, like you said, it's a community. They take you under their wing almost, right? And they teach you like, hey, this is how um, you know you boulder. This is, these are the first steps. This is how um, you know you you um, you start climbing, and they walk you through all the steps. and And I think that's definitely one of the most appealing things um, about the climbing community. So I think that's that's really awesome.
0: And that's exactly right. And, and it started the same with us as well, like being introduced to bouldering uh, before any of the other aspects of the sport. Um, it, it feels like it's the most accessible way uh, to to start. You're not too far off the ground, and you're um, not separated by a rope's length either. So you get instant feedback, and bouldering moves tend to be uh, a little bit harder than um, – well, I wouldn't say there are some extremely hard trad moves and, and sport climbing moves, uh, but the, the technicality of your body is, uh, is a little bit more in-depth whenever you start out bouldering, and, and it um, you progress really quickly because of that, so you get really psyched on it, and you get to, to try stuff that's way outside of your wheelhouse um, right from the jump, uh, which is exciting to try really, really hard stuff that you see the people that you admire doing, um and then just trying to pull like half a move or like just even reach that next hold uh, it's uh motivating um and the progression is, is really quick which is even more motivating I,
1: that, that's that's awesome no i totally agree so walk me through through the process of actually developing the crash pad so you guys offer a few products the sort of flagship product is the og kush crash pad which Uh, people can customize and put their own design on the crash pad, right? So could you walk us through exactly, you know, from the beginning when you guys first came up with this idea to where it is now, you know, what sort of prototyping did you guys go through in testing and all of that?
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, (laughs) What we did was uh, we actually got with our friend who, one of our friends who taught us how to climb. Um, He, his father and his, family has been an impo- a poly, um for their whole lives. So mm-hmm. um, he has an industrial sewing machine, and he actually, like, shapes rock climbing holes and does a bunch of rad stuff. So uh, we came to him with the idea and asked him for help for putting together our first prototype. Um, so, yeah, we started in his garage, like, sewing up a couple iterations of the crash pad. Um, mm-hmm. Found out what we liked and what we didn't like and what was working and what wasn't.
0: His name is Osiris Graves, and that's where the OG in OG Kush pad comes from. Because he was, uh, from day one, he taught us how to rock climb, took us on our first bouldering trip south to Joe's Valley, and um, helped us sew up our first crash pads in his garage. So uh, we we're in extreme debt to that guy. He's awesome. Um, but yeah, that was it. It was just uh, having the idea of finding scrap materials and sewing something up and uh finding foam uh, locally and putting foam in it, putting some backpack straps on it, and then, uh, yeah, a ton of testing.
2: So bringing out, having our friends um, you know, feel it, look at the design, you know, climb with it a bunch, mm-hmm. um, tell us what they liked, what they didn't like about it. Um, we're on our fifth iteration of the pad, um, in about third or fourth of the duffel bag and the fanny pack um, mm-hmm. right now, so. Um, so, yeah, and then, yeah, also just, you know, uh, coming up with new ideas and kind of keeping the process going. Yeah, it's
0: a common evolution. So you make you have one idea, and then whenever you put it together, it ends up completely different than what the original idea is. But you go with that and uh, make it work and then hand that off to people that you trust, that you know are going to use it and use it well, um, and then get their feedback. Um, you, you can't be too headstrong and, and stick to what you believe is gonna be good. You have to uh, put it out there and actually get the feedback from the community and start shaping the products around that. Um, And that's why in just the the short 15 months, uh, 16 months since we had the original idea, um, we've had so many different iterations of of the product.
1: I think you bring up a really good point about um, getting feedback from your community, your customer, because you know, they're, they're most important and obviously building what they want is, is key. And so many entrepreneurs are like, I know exactly what they want, right? And they go, you know, they put their head down and they just run forward and they build what they think their customer community wants. But I think that's really valuable and smart what you guys did with uh, all the different prototypes that you did or went through. I think that's, that's really incredible.
0: Yeah, we're also impatient and put like some <laughs> product. We're happy to show it off and give it to somebody, and then have them completely tear it apart and then start over again and just repeat the process. You know.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's so so valuable. So, where where did the actual name Kush Climbing come from?
0: Uh, yeah, so that kind of started knowing that we wanted to use something sustainable. Um, uh, we decided on hemp as the landing zone fabric. We could get it in a natural color, um, not dyed, uh, which would allow us to print on it. So we started playing around with hemp and cannabis words and like dope crash pads and stuff like that. Um, but Kush, uh, starting with a K, um, Kim and Kyle, um, and like the alliteration Kush crash pads felt really nice. Um, and then it's like a cushion uh, for your falls. And then I actually have a cousin, um, Simon, who at the time was one of two copywriters for Twitter. Uh, So whenever we uh, were on that California road trip, we got to stop to the Twitter compound in San Francisco, do lunch with them and hang out. And we ran the name Kush Crash Pads by him and he was stoked on it. So we're like, all right, we trust Simon. He likes Kush Crash Pads. We're gonna stick with that.
1: That's really cool. Going through that whole naming process, with our company, with Ready Eddie, I know exactly what it's like when you have that reaction where, like, that's the best name ever, where it just clicks with your uh, sort yep. of target demographic. No, that's really cool. So, in a nutshell, for our audience, for those who may not know that much about crash climbing, explain exactly what you guys do and how you're unique and different from other Crash Bad uh, com- um, companies
0: out there. Um. So... We kind of came at it from a different angle, um, one being sustainability. So we, we don't have any uh, preconceived notions about material costs and what standards are. We know that it has to be durable. We know that we want it to be sustainable. So that's left it open to, um, to, to not fall into what standard crash pads are made out of, which is uh, Cordura, which is a nylon. Uh, We do use that still um, for the parts that are going to see the most wear and tear uh, because it is going to last long. And we want our product to be out there for as long as possible. That uh, goes with our environmental ethics. Uh, But we also wanted to see um, artistic expression. Um, One thing that's been driving us from the very beginning is um, the space in mind of seeing a lot of our crash pads, you know, under some uh, big boulder out in California. I imagine one of the Peabody boulders out in Bishop with, you know, than dozen, two dozen Kush crash pads underneath it, all printed with one design across the entire face of the crash pads. So bringing artistic expression to natural environments that we love while lowering our impact on those environments so that they stick around, That that's what drives us every day.
2: Yeah, I mean, we wanted to be able to give back to the community in some way, um, supporting artists and also, um, you know, supporting environmental causes and getting people outdoors. So, uh, we just, um, give 2% of our profits, um, of our
0: sales, not just our profits,
2: excuse me, sales <laughs> to nonprofits. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that's, that's huge in supporting the community.
0: Yeah. Uh building the company has allowed us to do more than we could as individuals. We, we wouldn't be capable of getting back as much if, if we hadn't uh, traded coach climbing.
1: I love that. I think that's that's such a cool point. And that's one of the reasons why I started Ready Yeti is to be able to sort of 10x the impact that I have um, on the outdoor community and just, you know, in general. And I, I, I think that's something very valuable in, in companies these days and Finding brands that are willing to make that sort of commitment is really cool. So go, go a little bit deeper into into your commitment to sustainability. I know you guys you give two percent. Was it one percent to? Um, I'm sorry. What, what were the organization? There are two organizations, I believe, that you guys give. You give one percent to two different ones. Is that correct?
0: It's actually just two different types of causes. Okay. So we give one percent to environmental causes through 1% for the planet. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the other 1% we give to social causes. Um, We are just now deciding on what those causes are um, through our first batch of sales uh, with Kickstarter. We actually have funds to give to these causes now, which is very, very exciting. Um, The 1% for environmental causes um, goes through 1% for the planet, which was started by Yvonne Chouinard in Patagonia. And we're now members of that organization, and they vet all of the nonprofits and charities um, that uh, do really good stuff for the environment. Uh, so the first one that we are going to uh, give to is Leave No Trace. Uh, we chose them because they're part of 1% for the Planet, um, and they're also local. They're out of Boulder, Colorado, um, and we really believe in what they do. Um, so it's our first um environmental nonprofit and then the other one is going to be um um paradox yeah paradox sports
2: yeah paradox um takes um people with disabilities and uh you know gets them outside and um finding something that they're passionate about so um that would be our our other cause that would be given to.
1: i think that's really admirable and, and cool a very interesting aspect to your business and i think uh it's something that's important to a lot of people in climbing and just the outdoor community in general. So I commend you guys for doing that.
0: <laughs> um, Thanks, I mean, it's it's easier whenever you're building something from scratch to just decide that, okay, we're gonna put this much towards this uh, cause. We don't have anything telling us not to. So uh, if, if we're building something, we're gonna build in all the good parts that we want from the beginning.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's really cool, and this leads into my next question: of w- what sort of culture exists in your organization? So I know it's just the two of you guys, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. And you guys, you guys are married. We are. So that must be an interesting dynamic, <laughs> to say the least. To, to walk <laughs> us through exactly, you know, how does that how does that work? You guys are married, and you're also business partners. You know, sort of walk us through a day in. Uh, cush climbing in, in the life of, of uh, you guys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we yeah. I mean, it's just being Kyle and I right now, uh, and we live <laughs> we live in our RV. So yeah, um, we
0: are full on dirt bags. We we have a shop space, but we are living out of our RV hundred <laughs> percent.
1: That's awesome. Um, Very jealous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, we, we chose to do that so that we could put everything they had into business and not into rent, you know, going to nothing. So it also allowed us to be on the road, um, you know, if we needed to travel, like, you know, we went to a bar or national climate festival. Um, you know, anything holding moving us back there. But to get back to your question on culture, um, I think our, our culture here is more of I I don't know, get things done. Um, and, you know, Kyle and I being married, uh, we have – Definitely a different dynamic to the relationship, but um, mm-hmm. I feel like we work well together in stressful situations. I think riding a bike through um, through Europe and you know <laughs> going through um, language barriers and all types of things, not knowing exactly mm-hmm. where we're going to stay every day, like kind of got us in a mindset to where we can communicate with each other, even though we're under a lot of pressure. So, yeah,
0: absolutely, that was a uh, an eight month bicycle trip. So that was oh, wow. a, a lot of stress. That that you know, made it super easy for us to uh, to work together in this type of environment where we're actually just following our passions instead of, um, you know, looking for a place to, to sleep and food to eat every day, you know. We kind of tempered all that.
2: Totally. Um, yeah, I agree. And, like, what we want to build here is um, an organization where people are – passionate about, like, climbing, passionate about the environment, and um, really, really care about those things. I think if you have data at your core, like, you know, you can pretty much do anything, and, um, yeah, I mean.
0: Yeah, you, you can't teach uh, being adventurous uh, or a willingness to take risks, you know. Um, all the other stuff we can learn, uh, but that's at the core is, um, you know, following your passions and being uh, willing to take those risks. To to get to the end goal, you know. That's
1: Absolutely. that's that's really cool. I think. Yeah, and uh, yeah, go for it.
2: Oh yeah, I was just gonna say, um, you know, like one of the things that we're doing right now with the CU Climate team, what we're trying out is, um, uh, we, you know, volunteering for hours exchange, in exchange for a crash pad. So, um, so yeah, we we really value like getting people outdoors giving back to the community um and we want to keep that like within our organization too so um you know we do trail maintenance uh -hmm. we like to go to like climbing events and
0: yeah i guess like the foundation for our culture because it is just us is mutual love and respect for each other and then for the environment that's
1: awesome i totally understand um the aspect of being business partners so like when I, when I think about this question, having my business partners and the, I, like, I always made the joke or I've always heard the joke of, you know, like having a business partner is like being married to them, right? And, and I and I love the way you guys sort of explain that because it, it's so true. And when you guys have utter faith in each other and have done the things that you guys have done together, it builds that sort of level of connection and trust so that, you know, when you are running a business like CUSH Climbing, you can really excel and make sure that you fully get immerse yourselves in the business and make sure that you have the business's best interest at heart, which I think is re- really cool and really interesting and very few founders have that. Thank you.
0: And you talk to a lot of founders, so that's exciting to hear.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I try. <laughs> um, speaking of what? What mentor, you mentioned one mentor that you guys had when you were first starting out and you were designing or going through prototyping. What other mentors have you guys had in the process of getting where you guys are today?
0: Yeah, we've got a couple. So um, one mentor has been Jake. um, And that's, Jake, he's the co-founder or founder of Ethnotech Bags. And they are direct trade, uh, which it was really cool. They go out uh, all over the world and find artisans uh, who make textiles and then buy those textiles directly from the artisans and integrate them into their products. So conversations with Jake from the very beginning, um, book recommendations from him, like uh, "Let my people go surfing by von Genard uh, that really shaped our business from the very beginning, and he, he's been extremely receptive to our questions and conversations and, and um, kind of been with us the whole way. Um, and then Gabe, who's a, a local guy?
2: Um, yeah, Gabe Adams, he's a really awesome guy, first of all, um, and a, a really strong climber, and he's developed a lot of uh, problems here um, you know, in the Colorado area. Um, a lot of areas that are more Alpine. But uh, he's yeah. really been a great mentor. Um, you know, kind and I can call him up anytime and talk to him about um, what's functional and, like, what's working, how should we structure our business, um, what can we do better with our product, and how we can, like, get a first-eye view of everything um, in the climbing industry since he's so familiar with it. And he's been in business for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been one of our really great mentors here like locally
0: yeah he's a self-made business owner who um his business is in customized automotive parts um but he's an extremely uh strong climber and like kim was saying he's developed a ton of alpine boulders um so having him as somebody who we can talk to about the business side of things but then also get really good input about um what people uh want from their crash pads whenever they're actually trekking for two hours into the alpine uh Scenery and developing stuff out there.
1: that's, that's been hugely, hugely insightful. That's awesome. I, I having you, that sounds like a great list of mentors. And for for what some a common theme that I've found when speaking with a lot of founders of outdoor companies, just it, founders of any company really, is having strong mentors. And that has been a huge key to their success because they don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, they they're talking to people who have done it before, have been down that road, have you know built businesses very similar, while not the same. You know they don't have to recreate the wheel, so to speak. You know they can learn from all their mistakes. They're like, no, no, don't do it that way, because this is what happened to me when I did it like that. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's really valuable. Absolutely. Totally, very valuable. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And speaking to not recreating the wheel, um, uh, and off the mentors that we directly um, like interact with, Ransom Allison, who um, made the Sublime climbing brush. Uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, he's also an early mentor. He helped out with the Kickstarter campaign, uh, which ended up being a success for us. Um, so that was huge. But then, um, speaking to not recreating the wheel, like there's a lot of mentors that can be passive mentors. Like uh, Tim Ferriss and The Four Hour Work oh, Week yeah. uh, was an early book that we that was really influ- influential. And then Seth Godin um, and all of his business practices, including the Ship It Journal, which has helped us stay on time with. Uh, orders and manufacturing process are hugely influential. So there's a ton of resources out there. Um, you know, the personal ones are uh, extremely meaningful, and we wouldn't be here without them, but uh, going out and finding that information so that we don't have to uh, invent a process that's already uh, been um, refined and works really well has also helped us uh, get further than we would have um, in this short amount of time.
1: That's really awesome. I'm glad you referenced the four hour work weeks, the first business book I ever read <laughs> in high school. Yeah, it exactly. Was, it was awesome uh, it, and eye opening.
0: Exactly. And the, the title is just a straight up. Old... <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. So, what would you guys say has been the hardest part about starting cush climbing?
0: So, uh, the hardest part has been. Probably sourcing materials.
2: Yeah, it's really uh, it's been tough finding, um, you know, eco-friendly materials, um, you know, at like a, a rate that, you know, is, is not out of price mm-hmm. range, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah,
0: being able to have the cash to purchase materials, that's why we moved into the RV. But that that's also been a big uh, barrier uh, to entry, uh, finding the right supplier, and then negotiating uh, the cost to where we can actually purchase from them. Um, and then, also, affording manufacturing has been huge. Um, I, I picked up the sewing machine. We had services help in the beginning, but we couldn't ask him to do too much uh, because he has his own career and wife uh, and family and that whole thing. Um, so, so, uh, being able to get to the point now to where I'm off the sewing machine and can start running the business and then, uh, get manufacturing rolling was, was huge. And
2: yeah, definitely. I mean, I think from the beginning, um, whenever we started coach climbing and we got, um, RV, we were like, well, you know, we can run the business from the RV. We'll just it from there. Um, I think that was one of the hardest parts is realizing, you know, we can't do that from the RV Mm -hmm. um, with all that we need unfortunately. Um, We need a space to be able to you know, set up computers and wifi. And so, and you know, it just wasn't working out the way we wanted to, um, initially. So, um, I think that was one of the hardest parts.
0: Yeah. Like having a, a brand built around products, um, not something not an app or anything like that. Uh, having a shop space, like since we've gotten our, our space, we've been able to, uh, to just get so much more done. That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. So, talking about actual production and being able to afford it you guys did run a Kickstarter and I believe you guys raised a little over what was it twenty three thousand dollars correct it
0: was, yeah twenty two just over twenty two just
1: over twenty two I'm sorry so tell me what was that like I know you guys wrapped it up a couple weeks ago you know what, what was that processing journey like
2: yeah, um, I would say you know we've been wanting to do a Kickstarter for a while, um, and it's just really been like, well, are we at the point where, where we've got all the pieces together? Um, we we finally did have all the pieces together, um, it's manufacturing and suppliers, and we're like we're ready to pull the trigger. So um, we we got the Kickstarter page together. Um, we spent like three nights of not sleeping and <laughs> constantly working. <laughs> Both have full time jobs as well, so um, yeah, it was it was pretty tough, but uh, we got everything together and launched it. Um, and you know, it's it uh, like initially picked up really really fast, and then kind of from there we, we got like some publications out um, and saw a little bit of growth. But I think like our biggest push for us reaching the goal is like right at the end. Yeah, um, you know, three days before the end of the campaign, we were less than 50% funded and really pulled everything.
0: Yeah, it was a crazy marathon. You know, we, we did a full uh, 60 day campaign just about as long as we could um, put it out there. Um, knowing that the first couple of days would be refining um, what the page looked like, uh, getting product shots, we, we work better under pressure Um, so putting ourselves out there and then refining on the way has always been our our best way of getting things done. Um, So we did our first event, uh, was the GoPro Mountain Games in Vail uh, for the Bouldering World Cup, the U.S. stop, Uh, and we were right there in front of the bouldering wall. We had a huge response from the local community um, and decided to just go ahead and Uh, ride that wave into the Kickstarter campaign. So it's like, all right, we've built our list up a lot from this event. Let's go ahead and activate that network, which is excited about our product now that they have actually got to see it in person. Um, So that's where we got our initial bump from. And then it was just a constant push through the dip in the middle and then um, up the insane climb at the very end. Um, and we have to credit our friend Eric, um, the founder of Carabiner Coffee, uh, who we spoke to at Outdoor Retailer just a few days before the end of our campaign. Um, and he gave us the advice to just start texting everybody uh, in our contact list on our phones and reminding uh, them about what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. And, and that was really uh, getting our, lo- like our, our close network uh, active um, was what pushed us over the edge
1: no that's 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 great advice I, I think uh leveraging your network people who know you and trust you it's surprising mm-hmm. how far that'll take you <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. it's it's insane like you uh, uh it's surprising and rewarding and you get to i don't know it people get to interact with you in a completely different uh way i i think Um, your friends or your mutual acquaintances but then to get people excited about something that you're building uh, for the same reasons you're excited about it it, it's so rewarding and then they're so happy like to be on the ride with you
2: definitely I mean they can see the journey that we've taken um you know from the beginning and I Mm -hmm. I don't know it's really awesome like i said just to have that network behind you um Mm -hmm. in the climbing community so yeah, it's uh it was a crazy ride, but we're so excited yeah. that we can get this first batch yeah. out, and and this is you know what we need. So, Man, I,
0: I can't describe how exciting it is to be able to purchase the materials uh, to build the product that we've been envisioning for more than a year now, uh, like moving um, away from plastic buckles and into really substantially uh, much better uh, metal hardware for fasteners and just different details that we're able to uh, focus on now that we were able uh, to accomplish that goal.
1: I think that's that's awesome. That's really cool and, and inspiring. Um, and having that sort of idea in your mind and seeing it come to fruition is really a really cool concept. And, and just actually you know, going through that process, it's very rewarding. Um, what would you guys say is your biggest fear and how do you manage it in terms of
0: uh, push climbing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so probably the biggest fear would be like letting people down, like not fulfilling promises that we've put out there. Right. Um, it, it's easy to overpromise. Uh, we get really excited about our stuff and really excited about pushing what we're capable of doing, um, but like falling short of that, especially like in public. It is a huge fear.
2: I mean, I think that's one of the biggest fears with like starting a business is just the fear of, you know, failure. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I think that would be many other entrepreneurs' fears as well. Um, and, a, yeah, and, I
0: got it. Um, so, like, to, to help overcome that, it, it's really important to, like, for us, anyways, to set goals uh, mm-hmm. along the way, incremental goals and have a plan to accomplish those, like really laying everything out, dating everything, um, naming the person who's responsible for every little uh, step along the way, Um, and then just working extremely hard every single day to to knock all those uh, checks off the list to know that we're moving in the right direction towards fulfilling fulfilling our promises. Um, And then also communicating with our clients and customers and letting them know exactly where we are in the process so that expectations are met um, along the way as well. I think that
1: that's that's great advice and a great way to sort of look at it and mitigate the the difficulties and failures that are going to come with building a business. Because anyone who started a business knows that they fail a hell of a lot before they start oh, man. succeeding. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And having a a list with all the dates on there uh, can help get rid of some of that anxiety, you know, because you think about the big things and it's like, oh, we need to get this done and this done and this done. But then you think, oh, wait, it's on the schedule. It's in the calendar. We're going to do it at this date. I, I can put that out of my mind right now and focus on what needs to be accomplished here to get to that point.
2: Exactly. Just taking everything a step at a time, breaking the big goals down into little steps and taking in a step at the time helps
1: a lot. That's great advice. I for us we actually use a, a Gantt chart, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. And it basically just goes, you know, over time and then we have different tasks and we set them up. You know, this one's gonna take three days to accomplish and then this one will happen right after that so we can see exactly what the timeline is. So like you said, you know, I don't I'm not constantly worrying about like crap, am I forgetting one of those things or like oh shit, like did I do that? you know, removing that from the equation really helps you perform at a much higher level when you're trying to build a business.
0: Yep, yeah, and there's your focus. And whenever it's, uh, you, you have limited resources with just a couple people, that you really need to do that.
1: Oh, yeah. You wear all the hats. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Cool. what advice, now, I mean, uh, we've sort of touched on this already, in advice, but what would you give, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in starting a business in outdoor sports or just in general?
0: Um, so the biggest thing for us, I think, is passion.
2: Be passionate, um, be part of the community. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, one of the really inspiring books uh, that, that we read was Rock Warrior's Way, and uh, I think this quote describes it perfectly.
0: Yeah, so it's our responsibility to create our life's work and something we are passionate about because that is the most effective way we can create happiness in our life. A life's work in at something is the best path to challenge us, and it's the most effective way to serve others. It's been like the the piece of advice that we got from that book that's driving us every day. That's
2: doing game. what you love, loving what you do, mm-hmm. and with others.
0: Yeah, and being a dirtbag. <laughs> I mean, that helps uh, save money, and then also puts you right smack dab in the middle of the community that uh, you're trying to serve.
1: Oh man, that's awesome. And we'll we'll totally link up the uh that book in the show notes so our listeners can check it out. Where do you guys see your business going in the next year, five years, ten years?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this year, um rolling out the production and fulfilling the Kickstarter orders and mm. orders that we're we're having online, um, that's gonna be within the next year.
0: In five years, we're trying to scale up and be in gyms across the United States, and we also have some gyms interested in Japan. So we'd like to um, be available at retail areas, uh, rock climbing gyms, and then also gear shops at um, climbing destinations like J-Tree, as well as bring in new products. So we really want to push innovation and sustainability. Um, So products that we bring out, we're going to try to – lower the impact even more, environmental impact even more, and innovate in ways that that people aren't currently. In 10 years.
2: Um, Yeah, in 10 years, uh, expand the product line um, is one of our our main goals there. Um, You know, be able to hire a team of people to help us, like, expand our mission um, and develop more cause-related goods and actions and, you know, being more active um, in you know that realm of things, mm-hmm.
0: um, like really um, making climbing something that's accessible to the community that wouldn't have access to it. Uh, generally, um, we're both from Louisiana originally, where the only thing we climb is trees and fences. <laughs> um, so, like bringing climbing as a sport to those communities through camps or some type of initiative to get them out to Arkansas, Horseshoe Canyon Ranch would be the closest area to us, um, in Louisiana. Um, but really activating the communities that don't have access to it and figuring out ways to, to reach them. And we'd also in 10 years like to, you know, sponsor major athletes and events, you know, and really, uh, get the word out there and let people know who we are.
1: For sure. I have to ask how, how did you go from Louisiana to Colorado?
0: <laughs> oh, it <was> so easy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much like like we said, when we were in Europe, uh, discovering rock climbing, I mm-hmm. mean...
0: In the mountains in general, we ended up going through the Pyrenees once and the Alps twice right. and just fell on in love. with
2: hiking and being in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the main things that got me um, is that you could just take wild raspberries and blueberries and <laughs> them along the trail, and I was like, yes, this is awesome. Um, and just really enjoyed just being outside. Didn't really get to experience that much in Louisiana, mm-hmm. you know, mostly outside activities include watching football or um you know hunting (laughs) so uh, it's really cool to be around a community that thinks alike um Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's really crazy actually the amount of louisianans our age that are out here (laughs) have the same mindset you know Mm you instantly click and um
0: yeah coming out here to to colorado it's it throws a whole new dimension into what you're capable of doing outdoors, you know. In Louisiana, it's very flat, and you get the vertical out here. And if it's cycling, climbing, uh, whatever it may be, even the rivers, um, you know, it's just everything's more intense and more fun. So it's really easy to, to come out here and enjoy all that good stuff.
1: That's awesome. So you guys have known each other since, is it kindergarten, I believe?
0: Yeah, we went to kindergarten together.
1: Man, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i oh, know it's crazy it, yeah no it's, that's great that's awesome what would you guys say is i, I mean i feel like you guys really yeah, touched on this question but what would you say has been the best part about running push climbing
0: um, the best part is like not dreading work you know to this point it's been um well kim now like since starting the company she's uh quit her job as a um what were you doing?
2: Um, I was the director of operations for e-commerce um, for, for a company here in Golden. Um, and yeah, I just dreaded going into work. I wasn't passionate about what I was doing and kind of mm-hmm. questioned like where I was right now and is this the path that I want to be on? Um, the answer was no. So, <laughs> um, so I was like, what am I passionate about? I wrote down everything. Um, including like, you know, nonprofits and rock climbing and, you know, decided to, um, I used to teach swimming lessons. Then I would, really, I like to take people out climbing and teach them rock climbing. So, um, so yeah, I ended up working at Earth Trek, um, starting as an instructor, um, and then, you know, moved out to, you know, selling, uh, retail and desk and then I'm a shift supervisor in a program, uh, director assistant so um, I still get to be in the rock climbing community and I get to be on my feet all day do what I love and love the people I work with mm-hmm. um, so that's what I do when I'm not at Cush Climbing but while I'm here at Cush Climbing it's, it's creating something from scratch and watching it grow and you know just being excited about what we're doing every day and getting other people excited is like what we love to see, you know, mm-hmm. seeing the messages on social media and like just, just awesome, you know, feedback we've been getting and just buying and that's what keeps us going every day. So, um, I think that would be the best part of, you know, starting coaches, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, uh, dreading going to work and being passionate about what we're doing.
0: And like to, To make something up in your mind and, you know, just have an idea and then to see that come to life, it's just about the most rewarding thing I can imagine. You know, it's uh, it's just putting something out there and then having the community get behind you and help make that something happen. It has just been amazing.
1: I think you guys have definitely inspired a ton of our listeners to uh, take a second thought to uh, what they're doing for a living or whether or not they should start that business that they've been thinking about or whatever it is, or making sure that they're passionate about their current job because life is way too short to be working somewhere you hate and don't feel passionate about what sort of impact you're leaving. I I think that's such great advice. Um, I want to ask you guys, where can our listeners find out more about you guys and keep tabs on what the future holds for Kush Climbing?
0: Yeah, definitely everything. Um, you can see us on the day-to-day at Cush Climbing on Instagram, on Twitter, on Pinterest. Uh,
2: Facebook, yeah, um, on our website.
0: Cushclimbing.com. Um, but, yeah, everything is at Cush Climbing. So if there's a social network, if you look at at Cush Climbing, you'll find us. Snapchat, Periscope. Uh, I think we're on just about everything.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, yeah,
1: they can get I'm a look into the dirt bag lifestyle on uh, Snapchat and, and Periscope.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think um, Instagram would probably be the most fun.
1: Perfect, and we will we will add links to all of those in the show notes, and um, we will be running a giveaway where we will be giving away a Cush crash, an OG Cush crash pad, and a yeah. duffel bag. We will be launching today. And the giveaway will be ending on October 11th at midnight. So head over to com and sign up. You can find the, the uh, sign-up form right on the home page. So head on over, enter, and please share Kush Climbing with anyone you feel uh, values align um, with theirs. And um, I want to thank you guys for taking the time to chat with us. It was great getting to know you and Kush.
0: Yeah, thank you so much Josh. We really appreciate the opportunity to to talk to you and we really like what you're doing for the outdoor industry.
2: Yeah, it's been fun talking to you today and um, yeah, go enter that sleep stake.
1: Much appreciated, guys. Hey Ready Any Podcast Listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, then I would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to iTunes and leave us a quick review. This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along.
0: Well, that wraps up this episode of the Red Yeti
1: Podcast. I'll catch you next week.